just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From APP.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Happy New Year. We are starting 2023 with a big bang, especially from the Rutgers Scarlet Knights as they take down number one ranked Purdue for the second year in a row. This time, the Scarlet Knights get it done on the road. We'll be talking a lot about that game. We'll see a familiar face coming up on the schedule for the Scarlet Knights as well. We'll get into some Seton Hall talk and New Jersey mid-majors, but Jerry... Right off the bat, as we start 2023, uh, an unbelievable game for the Scarlet Knights as they once again knock off Purdue, the number one ranked team in the country. Just an incredible back and forth game, an incredible response that Rutgers seemed to have for everything that Purdue threw at them, and just a signature win for this Scarlet Knights team in this season. Happy Hoop Year 2023. Off to a flying start, but it's really, if you pay attention, can you really be that surprised? Rutgers has beaten Purdue five out of the last six times. Uh, basketball sometimes is about matchups, and, and Rutgers ha- matches up really well with Purdue. Rutgers big guards, Purdue smaller guards. Uh, Rutgers' Steve Peichel excels at taking away one-star player or you know gumming up the works when an offense runs through one-star player, which is what Purdue does. And now Rutgers has added the last piece to the puzzle, and that is uh, they don't get rattled by the environment. And so that's been the, the thing that's dogged this program for a long time. I felt like they turned a corner last year when they beat Wisconsin on the road, and you know you saw that here. And that comes with experience. That comes with guys who've been in big games before, and that's what this Rutgers team has, and this is what happens. I tried to address this in my column today. My follow-up column is that this is what happens when you keep a nucleus of guys together. In this day and age, with, with the transfer portal and you know the revolving door of rosters, when you keep a nucleus of guys together who've experienced success, things are not going to phase them. So, you know, Purdue was number one, but they're a conference foe. Rutgers has beaten them before. They've, a couple of these guys have won in Mackey before a couple of years ago. So, you know, it's a, it's a tremendous win. I think a lot of the country is shocked. I'm not shocked. And if you follow Rutgers, this team, this team, you really should not be shocked. So signature win, important resume building item. But this Rutgers team is really good, and they have a lot of veterans. Matt Painter is a great, the Purdue coach, tremendous in the postgame, right? It's Tom Izzo level postgame, so good. After a loss, give him a lot of credit. Said a lot of things about Rutgers that got a lot of traction. You know, I want to pick up these guys on my way to war in New Jersey. Uh, you know, they these guys are just tougher than us. But the thing that got really got my attention was when he said that Rutgers, this Rutgers team has corporate DNA. And what he meant by that is 
They have organizational culture that's developed over time. And he rattled off by, you know, by heart, Rutgers five starters and how many years they've been they've been there or been playing college basketball. Four four guys who've been in the program three plus years. Another guy, the one guy that brought off the transfer portal, Cam Spencer, who's in his fourth year of college basketball. And I'll get to that to Cam in a minute. But I feel like what you saw last night, last year was kind of a fluke that Rutgers beat Purdue, you know, with that crazy shot uh, at home. But this year, this was not a fluke. Like Rutgers is, they're close to that level of a, of a team. And so for the rest of the country, their eyes will be open. But this is what we thought Rutgers could be. And certainly no one in that locker room was surprised at all by how it turned out. You know, Jerry, I think from that game, the biggest takeaway is this happened on the road. And as you said, that's the last piece for this team, right? You know, other than, you know, getting absolutely robbed at Ohio State, you know, it, why not Rutgers this year? They should be, you know, they were picked eighth. I think they're going to be, you know, they can really challenge for the regular season title here. Right. And the thing is, it's again, it's a lot about matchups. Like Rutgers backcourt matched up really well with Purdue's backcourt. They had a big man to battle Purdue's big man. That's super important. You've seen Rutgers guards struggle with like sort of the, the bigger, longer, more athletic guards. They'd have to deal with that in this game. And Steve Peichel, let's give the guy credit. I mean, we've known he's a good program builder and he's gotten his due for that. But he really coached a tremendous game last night, putting on a, a three-quarter court press, which we've seen in little spots, but Rutgers hasn't really used as a steady diet. They used it as a diet-based defense last night. I think that really threw Purdue out of rhythm early and set the tone of the game. Tremendous job down the stretch. Yeah, Edie was starting to roll. He was getting the foul calls, but they pushed him way off his spot. They doubled him to the point where he had to unload the ball, those late end-game possessions where Purdue could have taken the lead. So I thought Peichel – was it was a master class in coaching last night. Look, he's a decent in-game coach. He's a tremendous program builder. Last night he coached a great game, and that was a huge part of what happened. So, yeah, I agree, Steve. It's all come together for Rutgers. Again, basketball is matchups, but, like, in the league, you win at Mackey, you can win any game. And that's been really what the big criticism of this Rutgers team, especially on this podcast, has been, is winning on the road. And, you know, we know what they are at home. We've seen them take down – Purdue, for example, at home last year, and we've seen them beat ranked opponents at home and just how difficult of an environment Jersey Mike's Arena has become. But when you see them win on the road like this, and they were close in Ohio State, and of course we talked about that here as well, that you know that was a call that could have gone their way. But now to see them win and, and to kind of exercise those ghosts and get this win on the road to start the calendar year of 2023, Chris, when you see them do this, the makeup, the DNA of this team to be able to win on the road Moving forward, what do you think this means for them? Well, I think there's a certain level of fearlessness about them. Uh, I mean, it, it just it's it stood out this, so far in the season. And I think when you look at guys like Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell, who have been through these wars, they're kind of leading the way for this team. And, and I think that these younger guys who are in there, I mean, obviously, and, and I know you're going to get to him, uh, Jerry, but Cam Spencer. I mean, you know, there was talk, you know, earlier this season, could he play well? Could he could he make the big shots? against, you know, high-level competition in, in big spots and, and big stages. And, and he answered that. And it just seems like this team's not, at this point, not afraid of anything. And, and you're right, Ryan, to go into an environment like that, um, I mean, one of the toughest places to play in the Big Ten, you know, that says something. That's a statement. So we, I, I sat down with Caleb McConnell after the Coppin State game. Just Caleb and I were talking. We have a really good rapport. Caleb's a great, great guy. And uh, 
you know, he, he's one of the one of the top leaders of this team. Him and Paul Mulcahy are the leaders of the team. And Caleb, you know, he he I mean, he wouldn't he had zero, he had zero fear of this game. He didn't care about Mackey or produce ranking or what. These guys don't care. They've been they've been through all this before. So I want to address Cam Spencer for a minute. Um, and this really will give you some insight into the way Steve Peichel builds a program. So I've had hour-long or more conversations with Peichel in each of the last two off-seasons, him trying to explain his philosophy with the transfer portal. And you hear, you've heard a lot of clamor for him to raid the portal. You know, there's a lot of talent floating around in that portal. He just does not want to do that. He'll take one guy, one piece, and putting fit and chemistry as a priority. So, you know, this year, this past year, he had a couple open scholarships. He had a couple guards on the campus he was looking at. Uh, Cam Spencer was one of them. And there was a guy who wound up at Notre Dame by the name of Marcus Hammond. who was a Mac guy, Steve. I'm sure you've covered him. He was the other. Okay. They're looking at these two guys, and they, they could have taken both. But Steve only took one, and people question the wisdom of that. Why not load up on as much talent as possible? Because Steve, he was looking for fit. He was he he didn't want to overshadow you know a a, a Mawat Mag or an Andre Hyatt role players who he was coaching up to be a significant contributor this season. He didn't want to recruit over Derek Simpson, a, a three star guard he brought in who he felt had a lot of promise as a long-term contributor and could help this year. So like he really understands the picture of fit, which I think is not well understood among a lot of people, even who follow college basketball closely. So Hammond is at Notre Dame now and he's played pretty well. He's averaging seven points a game. He's a piece of their rotation. I think Spencer has been a more significant contributor to, to Rutgers, but obviously made the right choice. But I also want to point out Cam Spencer, when he was a recruit coming out of high school, Anyone want to guess how many stars he was rated? Give me some guesses as to how many stars Cam Spencer was rated by the recruiting analysts coming out of high school. Two. Two? Keep wow. going down. <laughs> Keep going down. Uh, Not rated. Zero. Zero. I could find zero stars for this guy in his recruiting profile. Zero. So I think part of that is, and we've talked about this on this podcast, part of it is, the system is broken, okay? The the scouting analyst system is broken. Part of it is, you know, Steve – and, again, Cam had played well at Loyola, Maryland, so it wasn't like they knew nothing about him. But Steve sees things in players that other people don't see, and that's kind of what the fit was. And how do you evaluate whether a guy has the onions to make that shot? And, and the shot Spencer made last night, look – Paul Mulcahy did a nice job drawing two players. He'd been backing these smaller guards down all game. They had to double him. He did a nice job getting the ball to Spencer at the top of the key, which is where Spencer likes the ball, his favorite spot to shoot. But still, he had to execute a shot fake, and then to get his open look, that took some presence of mind, okay? it's tough. You're not going to see just anybody doing that. So I think what you saw, how do you evaluate that? How do you evaluate what's in a guy's head, what's in his heart, I don't know the answer to that, but Steve seems to have done that really well with these pieces he puts together, which is why the 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 whole is better than the sum of the parts. And I don't I think again, I feel like 
this offseason, there's going to be the same things. Like people saying, why doesn't he load up on this? Why doesn't he do that? And it also plays into the NIL. Cam Spencer the negotiated an NIL that was about the same number of the number of stars he had out of high school, okay? It was not a factor, not a factor. Spencer wanted to go somewhere where he could test himself on a big stage. Uh, he had a chance to fill in the spot that Geo Baker left. This is a very old-school program Pikel is running, okay? So you hear coaches saying, I need millions of dollars for NIL. I can't compete, and I get it. There's some truth to that. It's, that's the way it's going. Pikel's not going to do it that way. He's going to do it his way, and I give Matt Painter a lot of credit for seeing that and pointing that out with his corporate DNA, organizational culture comment last night. That's what helped Rutgers take that left hook on the chin when Purdue came back from 13 down at Mackey, and it sounded like that place was rocking. What helped Rutgers withstand that was that DNA that comes from being on the same page and people knowing their roles and guys having been there. And Pikel has developed that the old school way. And you really have to tip your hat to that as a program watcher. How about the praise from Geo Baker after the game on Twitter saying Cam Spencer is the biggest competitor I've ever met. I thought that was pretty, that's some pretty high praise coming from a pretty competitive player himself. It does say a lot, right? Because Baker was the epitome of the up from the bootstraps guy. I'm going to will myself. I'm going to speak it into, into, uh, into existence guy. So for him to say that carries a lot of weight. Geo's funny, man. It's kind of cool that he's joined the ranks of the pundits, right? He's like one of us now. Only he's have <laughs> really walked watch. the walk. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And I think he had another line last night. It's a lot harder to watch this than it is to play in it, right? He's great. So you got to keep an eye on Geo Baker. Uh, but yes, Chris, that's a great observation. Uh, and again, that's a, a tangible, right? That you can't, like, a metric, there's no metric for that, how competitive a guy is. And so, yeah, like, Spencer had had some rough outings, and the competitor in him shook it off. And he just didn't hit a big shot last night. I thought he was terrific all the way around, defending, moving the ball, uh, you know, making the right decisions. He had three assists. He took good shots. Very efficient. Yeah, he was was really good. He was really good. So good for him, and he deserves his moment in the sun for sure. And it seems like anytime we recap a big Rutgers win on this podcast, it, it almost seems like we're talking about a different player every time this happens. And I think that kind of speaks to what Jerry said that, you know, this is a collective team effort. It's not one star leading four other guys on the court. You have a, a bunch of contributors on this team. And one night it might be player A, the next night it might be player B. And it seems like, you know, every time we talk about a win for this program, there's a different name that we're highlighting. And I guess, you know, it speaks a little bit to game planning and it speaks to just how each player on this team really knows their role and knows when to step up. And if the offense flows through them in that particular night, they're ready for the challenge. And that's what we we saw last night with this win uh, over Purdue. And we're going to have to see it again this week because as is the schedule in college basketball, you don't get a whole lot of time to to really celebrate these types of wins. Rutgers will be taking on Maryland on Thursday. That's a home game. Maryland's 10-4, and 1-2 and two in conference. And then they have Iowa coming to town as well. Iowa at the bottom of the conference right now. They're 0-3, 8-6 overall. Oh, that Maryland team, uh, Jerry, who are they coached by? A familiar face, I believe. Ha-ha, <laughs> you may have heard of him, Kevin Willard. Kevin Willard. I t- I've texted Kevin. I said, Kevin, we really miss your sense of humor, man. Because as much as, listen, Steve Pike is a great guy, and we know Shaheen Holloway and like him well. Willard, he really spiced up his press conferences with a lot of one-liners, and like everything's as serious as a heart attack right now around here. Kevin, 
I can't wait to see it Thursday. So I don't know if the feeling is mutual, uh, especially where he's got to go play Thursday, but it will be interesting. And I want to say before we get to Maryland and Kevin, I want to say that uh, this will be a test of Rutgers maturity because I, as I, I've said this twice now, last year when Rutgers, Rutgers lost the Seton Hall game last year when they beat Purdue on that buzzer beater, the, the turnaround and like they lost a whole day reliving that. And so they lost that game there this year. Rutgers lost the Seton Hall game this year. Now, you got to give credit to Seton Hall for playing their rear end off, but Rutgers lost that game. They, when they lost to Ohio state, they could not get over the way the game ended. So this is a little test of maturity for Rutgers. Can you, can you put this, you know, phenomenal win over the number one team on the road, seminal moment in the rear view mirror, because Maryland's not bad. I mean, they, didn't, they did not play well last week. Their last game, they scored like 10 points against against Michigan. Uh, Maryland is not bad. They're well coached, okay? And Maryland, you know, they beat Rutgers pretty soundly at the rack last year. Now, a lot of new players for Rutgers, but Maryland, is a, they're not nearly as good as Purdue. Okay, they're not as good as Rutgers, but different type of team, athletic, guards, uh, you know, different matchups, not overly reliant on one guy, not one big man. So totally different basketball's matchups. I don't think it's an easy game for Rutgers. They deserve to be favored. They'll be home. The place will be rocking. I don't think it's an easy game for them at all. I think it's a pretty big test. Um, you you know you watch the Big Ten pretty closely, Chris. What do you what do you think of Maryland and then Iowa, which comes up after that, has really been struggling. Uh, so we'll, I guess we'll see. That's down the road. The two games down the road, but you know Rutgers has to if if the Rutgers really wants to make a push at uh, Steve mentioned a Big Ten title or you know, a really high seed in the NCAA tournament, you win these two games at home this week, will not be easy. Yeah, I mean, I think the Maryland season has been kind of a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, they've had some really good games, and, and they've had some really poor ones, as you said, you, you know, mentioning the game against Michigan last week. They lost 81-46, to 46, so a little bit more than 10 points, but not much. But, you know, they, they've kind of been all over the place, and I, I do I agree with you. I think that this should be a winnable game for Rutgers. I think that they will win. That, that would be my prediction, but – you know, as you said, it's not going to be an easy game at all. And, and nothing is in the Big Ten. I mean, how many times have we seen Steve, or heard Steve Peichel say that, you know, nothing nothing comes easily in this conference. So, you know, it's not going to be an easy one. But as you said, I, I do think that, you know, Rutgers has a really good shot. Now let's go back to Willard, okay? Willard, you know, he, he I don't think there's many – there's not m- many jobs Willard would have left Seton Hall for. He, he had his kingdom – Seton Hall is not, it's not a great high major job by any stretch. But it's it's a lot better than when he got there 12, 13 years ago. Willard would had a kingdom at Seton Hall. He was the king in his castle. I don't think he would have left Seton Hall for a whole lot of jobs that he could have gotten. Like like he's not getting Duke, he's not getting North Carolina, he's not getting Kansas. You know, the job of the jobs that Kevin could have gotten, there's not a whole lot of them that he was leaving Seton Hall for. Maryland fell into that into that small category of tradition rich. On the you know in the Mid Atlantic Eastern Seaboard, not too far from where Kevin is from. He's a Long Islander. He spent a lot of his life in the Northeast, uh, Boston, uh, you know New Rochelle, etc., New Jersey. Okay, uh, good, good, really good facilities, basketball first type of place, um, a place in a recruiting rich land. So I think Maryland checked all the boxes for Kevin. I don't think Kevin left Seton Hall lightly. I think it was difficult for him. I really do. Maryland, you know, paid him $4 million a year. That, that certainly helped, okay? But he would not take him that money from just anybody. It was a good fit for Kevin as the next step. And he's a Kevin's a good coach. Uh, they're 10-4. and four. They've had some really impressive wins. 
but, you know, they had a, some also really head-scratching losses, and they seem to be struggling a little bit of late. But Kevin took over a program that was at a low point by Maryland's lofty standards, and so I think he's done a really good job to this point. Uh, no one expected Maryland to contend for the NCAA tournament when the season started. They've been ranked in the top 25. So he's a good coach. He's going to do a good job. But with any first-year coach anywhere, there's going to be fits and starts, and that's what you're seeing out of Maryland. The other thing about Willard is that uh, there's going to be he's going to be booed and heckled real bad Thursday. And so there's multiple reasons for that. One is Kevin coached the arch rival for 12 years, okay? So he was like public enemy number one at Seton Hall when the neighborhood rivalry and he gets a lot of credit as does Steve Peichel for bringing this thing back from where it had really trailed off when Rutgers was just non competitive. So Kevin got Seton all turned around. Pike's got Rutgers turned around. The rivalry got really hot again. So he deserves credit for that. Kevin uh, chose not to prioritize Rutgers when they, in 2020, when the non conference schedule fell apart because of COVID and they had to reschedule. Kevin chose to take a game at Penn State instead. And that that ruffled a lot of feathers among Rutgers and Jersey basketball fans who like the rivalry. That's just a fact. Kevin's going to hear it from that end of it. And Kevin has said, look, the guy is blunt as can be. It's part of his charm. I think for some people, some people don't like that. Kevin has said like, I don't like coming to the rack. I mean, why would he like going there? You know, he's not going there to have tea with Pat Hobbs who hired him at Seton Hall. You know, it's a tough place to play, man. Those fans are right on you. They make you really uncomfortable. Why would he like going there? You think Tom Izzo likes going there? Tom Izzo's popping champagne when he saw his schedule that he gets Rutgers in Madison Square Garden. Okay? I'm not sure the rack is a popular place among the Big Ten. Yeah, who the hell wants to go there? So, you know, it's it's the for all those reasons, Kevin's gonna hear it from the crowd. He knows that. And that's part of the game. And as long as people are are civil, they yeah, they can boo him all they want. I mean, that's that's what happens when it's your court and a bad guy comes in. So a lot of elements, a lot of fun we're going to have with this game on Thursday. And, and as you said, Jerry, he knows what to expect. And, you know, I'll pass that message along to his team and get them ready and they'll be up for it. So it's certainly a game that Rutgers, if they do what they did against Seton Hall after that Ohio State loss, if they kind of come into it with the same mentality where they're still thinking about the past, uh, it's a game they could lose, especially with an experienced coach that knows the rack and knows what it means to play against Rutgers on their home floor. So certainly an interesting follow-up act after this huge win for the Scarlet Knights. And as for Kevin Willard's former team, Seton Hall Pirates, uh, since we last spoke, they lose to Xavier and Marquette. They follow that up with a win over St. John's, the Pirates, 8-7 and seven overall. They are at Creighton on Tuesday and then home against Butler on Saturday. As you look at this Pirates team, Jerry, uh, what do you make of it? Kind of the, the similar things that we've seen all season, one step forward, two steps back type thing. Steve, when you when you wrote about uh, Seton Hall beating Rutgers last month, what did you write about Shaheen? That you would not bet against the guy in a big game, right? Exactly. So here comes Shaheen and Seton Hall with their back to the wall against St. John's. Like, you start 0-4 in conference. You're dead in the water, okay? You lose two home games. You're dead in the water. Here he comes, and again, Holloway was razor sharp in this game against St. John's. All the right moves, uh, push the right buttons uh, rotation-wise, as far as, you know, the way his team defended, uh, how he got their heads together after falling in an early hole, uh, throwing on a zone, mixing in a zone, you know, which he, he does to do from time to time, right, Steve? We saw this with St. Peter's. The guy will play zone defense. 
Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree. And, and I think this Creighton game coming up tonight, um, you, if you could win this game, if, if he can, if he can do that again, win this game, all of a sudden you've got Butler, Georgetown, DePaul coming right. up before you have to play UConn. You could change the course of your season, really, if you could win this game at Creighton. You're and it sounds you- crazy. Look, Seton Hall has, has seven losses, okay? It's not, and they're one and three in their league. It sounds a little crazy, but they're not that far off from being on the bubble. Our buddy John Templin, who wrote, does an NIT bracketology, has them as a three seed in the NIT. And that, that means a three seed means you're not that far from the bubble because they have big win at Mem- against Memphis on a neutral court, a monster win at Rutgers. You're right. And, and you add a win at Creighton. I mean, that is a humongous thing. It's not a must win for them tonight, but if it would be a humongous win if they could get it, and then you have the three winnable games, they're not that far out of it. I, I don't think Seton Hall is dead in the water by any means. Now, it's a long way to go. It's an uphill climb, and you still don't know what you're going to get game to game because unlike Rutgers, Seton Hall has all this new about it, new staff, new personnel, a lot of new pieces. It's still kind of fitting and fits and starts. Um, which Maryland is going through with Kevin Willard. But, yes, you're right, Steve. Tonight at Creighton is a chance. That's a tough place to play. Creighton's got a lot of talent. They haven't played really that well. They've underachieved so far with an injury to their big guy, Ryan Kalkbrenner, who's back. Uh, So there is some opportunity there for Seton Hall. And the other thing is what Seton Hall has, they have a guy, they have a a guy, a potentially – potential budding superstar. Have you seen how well Kadari Richmond has played? Amazing. Really, when you look at his numbers over the last, say, two, three weeks, I mean, these are like all-American kind of numbers, the way he's playing. I mean, I think Big East, 18.3, 6.3 rebounds, 5.3 assists. That's his average in league. That's in the league. In the league. So, you know, I think when you look at Seton Hall, that's what gives you hope. You know, not only – I mean, you've seen it on the defensive end, but I think Richmond gives you hope that they can do it on the offensive him with him as the catalyst, you know? And uh, to me, that is the key for Seton Hall. It's a fascinating experiment because Richmond is Kevin Willard's guy. Willard is, although Kevin and and Shaw coach together and for a long time, um, they're much different in their style and their approaches to managing personalities, et cetera. And, you know, in some ways, I, I felt like uh, Holloway and Richmond might be oil and water, okay? And maybe that accounted for Richmond's slow start. But Holloway has a lot to offer a point guard. More than any other position, Holloway has a lot to offer as a coach to a point guard. And if he and Richmond are getting on the same page with the amount of talent Richmond has, he could potentially be lighting a powder keg of a point guard. And that in college basketball, that's the number one position. So there's a lot of there's a lot of intrigue there with Seton Hall as far as like potential upside and how good this team could be over the last two months of the season. I agree, Steve. Certainly opportunity, as we said, in front of Seton Hall. And you have your player, your budding superstar here with a schedule coming up where you can kind of get right and get some wins under your belt before you really start to face the meet. So it, it is an opportunity for this Pirates team to turn things around. And, and we'll see how they do. As we said, uh, Creighton, tonight, Tuesday, and then Butler Saturday. So certainly some opportunity ahead for Seton Hall. Uh, Quickly, let's look at some of the mid-majors around New Jersey. Steve, uh, 
as we said, Monmouth, uh, they continue to struggle. They've lost five in a row. But Princeton, they win over Harvard, and they have the New York swing coming up, Columbia Friday, and then a tough game against Cornell Saturday. Cornell uh, figures to be some of their competition in the Ivy League this year. They're 11-3 and overall. Uh, what have you seen out of some of the mid-majors this past week? Well, you you bring up Princeton, and, and yes, that was a big win over Harvard. And I've seen Cornell, and as always, you know, in the recent years, they are very good. But Princeton is in, in good position. You know, I think ultimately it may come down to those, those two uh, games later this season against Yale. But, you know, Princeton is right there. You know, and I think as you look at the mid-majors around the country, I think if you look at a team like Ryder, now Ryder, again, hanging in there, but they are the one team, I think, that athletically and talent-wise, you know, with Dwight Murray Jr. leading the way, has a chance to challenge Ione in the match. Yes, agreed. You totally know, I agreed. think athletically, they can do it. I beat him last year. And the tournament. Uh, on Princeton for a second, really nice, Steve, to see 3,000 people show up to Jadwin for that Ivy League opener. You know, this Princeton team is fun to watch, man. Yeah. They got two really good bigs. They have two guys who can shoot the eyes out of the ball. Uh, the offense the offense moves really well. It's not your your, your father or your uncle's Princeton team that, like, drains, you know, drains the shot clock down. These guys go after it offensively. It's fun to watch. I'm glad to see the, that kind of response in Jadwin. Princeton deserves a good crowd. It's a good Great uh, legacy program. Uh, I want to add that uh, you mentioned Cornell. The reason why Cornell is such a tough matchup for Princeton, Brian Earl, you think Brian Earl knows a thing or two about Mitch Henderson and Princeton's offense, the way they run? Steve, Brian Earl you know, is a teammate of Mitch Henderson on great Princeton teams, was an assistant for a long time, right? He's done a really good job at Cornell. He's a rising star too. Yeah, Cor- Cornell is really good. And, uh, and again, I, I just think there's – the the Ivy League is going to be a fun league to watch throughout the year. You know, there's a lot of good teams right at the top, and you know, no one's going to get through there unscathed. And it, it's going to be very interesting, I think. Quick shout out to FDU. Like they won their conference, their Northeast Conference yep. opener against Merrimack, the preseason favorite. Hey, how about Tobin Anderson getting it done? F- FDU's pretty good. They got they have a, as good of a shot to win that league as anybody, right, Steve? Absolutely. And that what a story that would be, you know, from from everything that happened there last year that you kind of chronicled, Jerry, um, to potentially winning a league. That would be one of the best stories in the country. You bring in a coach and two guards from D2 and you're going to win win a league. So a long way to go here, but promising signs from, from the night so far. Absolutely. 8-8 eight eight overall. St. Francis and LIU coming up this week. And we mentioned Ryder as well. They're 3-1 and one in conference. Quinnipiac on Friday. Siena at Siena on Sunday. And then next Sunday, the 15th at Iona. So a, a tough schedule for them coming up. But 3-1 and one in conference, as we said, a good start for them. The mid-majors in New Jersey holding their own. So certainly all around, starting at the top, of course, with Rutgers and right on down. Lots to talk about here in the Garden State for this college hoop season. It's really starting to heat up now as we start the new year. A lot of big games ahead, and we can't wait to talk about them all next week. Thank you so much for joining us here on Jersey Jump Shot. Again, be sure to read Jerry, Steve, and Chris's reporting on NorthJersey.com, APP.com, MyCentralJersey.com. Tell your friends if you like what you hear to subscribe to the podcast. And thank Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. For Jerry, Steve, and Chris, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com. Just going to run this 
dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.